The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. A young woman sitting outside a house one day just enjoying nature realizes she's seen something that she wasn't supposed to see. And then get ready for a cannonball splash! A pool party! Everyone's favorite activity. Well, it might not be yours if you drowned. <laughs> like, obviously, Jason, I don't think I'm doing much after that. But this drowning has a twist. A paranormal twist. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. We got a lot of stuff to cover, so we're going to get started right away. First off, swimming into Dead Rabbit Command. The entire place has been flooded. Everyone, give it up for Annetta. Woohoo! Yeah! She's still swimming. She's swimming around in circles for hours and hours. We're like, our hands are getting tired. Can we stop clapping now? This shout out is a very interesting one. The way it works out is that we have a Patreon supporter named Mike Hall, who in the Patreon Discord has been using AI programs to turn all the past episodes into written stuff, transcribing them would probably be a more accurate way and a more descriptive way. Less words to mean the same thing. He's been transcribing past episodes of Dead Rabbit Radio, which has been super important, something that we really needed to have done. It helps with, uh, you know, internet searches and things like that. Now I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to use them. I, I got to post them some way. But anyways, Mike Hall has been dutifully doing all this stuff free of charge. Also very important. Really appreciate it, Mike. Well, Mike has been so busy in the computer lab getting all these notes that he's not going to be able to be our captain, our pilot this episode. But instead, his beautiful wife, Annetta, will be flying us around. So thank you so much. And really, this just goes to show there are so many things you can do to help out Dead Rabbit Radio. It doesn't have to be financial. You don't have to be an AI wizard also to help out the show. Just spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. There's so many ways you can help the show grow, and I appreciate all of them. I really, really do. Aneta, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command and fly us all the way out to Finland. <laughs> Nice leisurely journey over the majestic oceans below. Headed out to Finland. I want to give a shout out. This story was recommended to me on the Dead Rabbit Radio subreddit. It was recommended to me by Dragonova Svetlana. Dragonova Svetlana has been sending a lot of stuff to the Dead Rabbit Radio subreddit. A lot of really good stuff. Thank you so much. I appreciate all the recommendations, all the requests, or just tips on stories, really. I don't know if it's necessarily a request, but when you guys send me stuff, it really helps me find stuff that uh, is kind of one of a kind, and that's where this story comes from. The reason why we're headed out to Finland is we're about to attend a party. 
And we walk in and it's all these people. It's a very close-knit friendship. These people have been knowing each other for years. We just kind of walk in. We're like, where are the Cheetos, man? Where are the Cheetos? They're like, what? What's a Cheeto? This is Finland. We eat like raw cabbage or something like that. And we're like, ah. And then we go to the store. We bring back a bunch of Cheetos. We're touching everything. Our fingers are super orange. They're like, I've never seen that color before. This is Finland. Everything's the color of raw cabbage. We're in Finland. We're crashing this party. And we're about to meet this young woman. Her name is Susanna. Now, she is not a native to Finland, a country we've covered twice on this show. I'll put those episodes in the show notes. Quite quite odd ones. Um, but, well, I'll go ahead and put those in the show notes. We've been to Finland twice before. On this third time, we're hanging out with this girl named Susanna. She's not a native of the country. She's visiting some friends. And we're kind of in a remote part of Finland. Out in the middle of nowhere. The boonies. The party's winding down. People are kind of starting to filter out. And Susanna is talking to one of her friends. And she goes, let's go outside. I, I want to smoke. I want to have a little smoking break. So they step outside. Susanna and her friend. And Susanna's smoking a cigarette. And they're sitting on this back step of this cottage. And suddenly, a parade arrives. Sounds more like a burlesque song. There was actually there was actually no music, but you know, you can imagine parade music. Again, there was no music. But if I'm gonna have to watch a parade, there might as well be music. They're sitting out in this back porch and this parade shows up. But it's not a normal parade. Susanna and her friend see in front of them this line of people. <laughs> You're like, Jesus, that's the definition of a parade. A line of people is a parade. No, 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 no. It was a line of people and horses, but the people were all about 12 to 15 inches tall. And they're walking through this grassy area behind this cottage. And Susanna is obviously stunned by this. She didn't expect to see any parade, let alone, let alone, I mean, even just one 15 inch tall person standing there. That would be shocking enough. She's seeing a line of them walking in this procession, and they have horses. And she said the horses were in proportional height to them. So the horses were walking next to them, and you had this line of people. And she said, the parade, the procession, which would probably be a better term, the procession was divided into three groups. You had the first group, like the first group of parades or people walking in the row, were human. Albeit, they're only 12 to 15 inches tall, but she said they all were clearly human, and not only were they human, they were wearing human clothing. Pants, shirts, shoes, hats, socks, probably, walking in this line. She said a couple of them walked by, and then there's a second part of this procession, and these were also tiny humans, but they were wearing what could only be described as elf or fairy clothing. So what is that, like a tunic, maybe like little tights, and those shoes that have the little points on the end of them? Probably no socks. Maybe, though. And a little hat, little Robin Hood hats. They're walking by in fairy and elf garb. And then the third part of the procession 
she said, were not human at all. There was no recognizable human features in the second part of the procession, which is interesting because I would think maybe they were like goblins and little goblin people walking behind. But when she's saying there was nothing recognizably human about them, they were definitely intelligent. They seemed to be moving in this line of their own free will. Actually, we'll get to that in a second. But she didn't say that there were these mindless beasts that are or like crawling behind them like spiders or something gross. But if there's nothing recognizably human about them, I would say walking on two legs would be human and having two arms would be human. So I don't know if it was like completely like H.P. Lovecraft level horrors bringing up the rear or if it was just like when she said that she didn't mean like human facial features. So maybe they were like little orcs and goblins. She didn't say what they were wearing. We have no word on whether or not they had socks on. But you had humans dressed like humans, and then humans dressed like fairies and elves, and then little orcs. Maybe, right? Or maybe Cthulhu-esque monstrosities that the mind cannot even comprehend. And horses. And she said they had, you know, there's a sizable group. She doesn't say exactly how many other people are here, but she, she goes, they're walking by, both me and my friends saw them. I mean, obviously there's nothing else to look at. Once those guys showed up, you're not going to be like, hey, did you catch the game Saturday night? Man, hey, guys, you really scored a lot of points. He got a downer. You're like, what? You're not going to talk about anything else. You're going to look at the tiny people and the monsters. She goes, we were staring at this parade walking by, and every single one of the people in the parade, not the horses, but every single person and monster man in the parade was staring daggers at Susanna and her friend. They hated the fact that they'd been spotted by humans, but yet they did not scatter. They didn't try to hide. They kept their march. And this is fairly close to them. It's not like a parade off in the distance. She's like, oh my God, they're only 15 inches tall. It's because she's three miles away. They're close to her. They're actually walking towards the house. But they were really, really, really upset that they'd been spotted by humans. And she goes, every single one of them stared at us like they wanted to kill us. <laughs> They're only 15 inches tall. Like, what are you going to do? Maybe the orc could do some damage. The little goblin man. But she said the procession just passed by us. Again, there's nothing else that's going to draw your attention. You're not going to hear a blue jay in the tree and then turn your head. They watched this procession march past them. Suzanne was like, what in the world was that? And friend's like, I have no idea. I was hoping, I was hoping it was just gone mentally insane. But it turns out that that was real. Suzanne was like, yeah, we just saw a bunch of little people walk by. They went into the party and the people in the party, like, well, most of the people left the party. They go back into the house and the people who were left were like, where were you guys? What? We were in the back. We've been out there for like the past 10 minutes. We just went out there, had a smoke cigarette, but... That's not important. How long I've been out there isn't a big deal. We just saw a parade walk by. And they told the friends this. And the friends are like, oh, that's weird. Not only is the tiny parade weird, but you've been gone for four hours. And I'd be like, okay, that's weird. <laughs> that's a weird part. But I think the weirder part is we just saw the fairy realm in front of us, walking by. 
This story was posted online, too, I wanted to say. It wasn't posted by Susanna herself, but by a friend. And she goes by the online name Editor Redditor. So I wanted to give her credit for that as well. Now, long-time listeners of Dead Rabbit Radio know I am anti-fairy. I would go so far to say that I find fairy stories irritating. It's not that I don't believe them. It's that... Because it's probably real. There's probably something to the phenomenon. I'm just putting all my cards out here on the table. I think fairies are lame. I think they're lame. I I don't think they're super cool or exciting. Um, I guess... Here's the thing. If I met a girl in the woods and we started dating, and then on our honeymoon she goes, Jason, I know... I know that we met in the woods and all I wanted was an acorn ring and every time we kissed butterflies flew out of my ears and I figured at some point you would pick up on the fact that I was not a human also the fact that I'm 15 inches tall. I thought you would have figured out at some point that I was a fairy but you treated me as a human the whole time. You even said hello to my dad who was the elf king of Globoglore. You didn't make any remarks about his size, or the fact that he was also clearly a mythical being. It's not saying I would break up with Esmeralda, the fairy queen. It's not like I would dump her. If I was dating a fairy, I'd be okay with that. If I married a fairy, you know, I'd be fine with that too. But in the back of my mind, I'd be like, oh man, this is super lame. Like, I just assumed it was a tiny human who could fly and had a magic wand. I was like, hey honey, uh, what are you doing this week? And she's like, oh, I have to go help a poor orphan girl make a dress. I'm like, what? Okay, honey, see you later. They're lame. If I had a fairy encounter, I'd probably be a little more like enthusiastic about it. But if you think about the pantheon of the paranormal, they're way down there. Like even Loch Ness Monster is more exciting than a fairy. You know what I mean? Like it's just in the scheme of things, it's lame. Ghosts and demons and aliens and Bigfoot and... Urban legends, even, that for the most part might be totally made up. Loch Ness Monster. All this stuff. I'm not a huge fan of sea monsters either, but I'd rather... I'd rather think I saw a sea monster than be visited by a fairy. But again, maybe I, maybe my... Maybe this is all reverse psychology. Maybe I'm like, oh, if I trash talk the fairies enough, surely they'll arrive and my dreams will come true. I'll get that new dress. But I just think they're lame. I think they're quite boring. So why are you telling this story, Jason? Why did this story pop out at you? Well, I don't know. I'll be honest. I don't know. I just thought this story sounded really, really interesting. I think the fact that we have two witnesses, I think the fact... Here, here's my takeaway from this story. Like, if I had to give you an... I don't know why I read the story, and I thank you, Dragonova, Lana, for sending it over, but um, there's something about this story that really caught my attention. And part of it is the first section of the procession. The humans wearing human clothing. I'm wondering if those are willing participants in the parade. I wonder if those aren't real humans that were taken captive by the fairies. Because one thing that does make fairies slightly interesting is that they share a lot with UFO lore and the fact that they abduct people. And that well, I guess that's it. In this case, missing time as well. But 
they abduct people. Fairies are known for stealing babies and kidnapping people. I mean, like, that's exciting. Um, and I'm wondering if that's what this parade was. Like, the people wearing the... It doesn't necessarily say modern clothing, but human clothing. I wonder if those were humans that have been captured by the fairies who made up the secondary batch of the procession. And then the rear was brought up by their monstrosities. But it's an interesting story. As fairy stories go, it might be the most interesting fairy story. <laughs> and it's a low bar. These guys just walked. These guys just walked by and I'm like, whoa, dude, you're blowing my mind, man. You're, they're walking by. I'm not a huge fan of fairy stories, but something about this story spoke to me. It spoke to me in a tiny, tiny voice in my ear. And yeah, I'm wondering if that first group of people, like everyone was, she said all of us were staring at them like we shouldn't have seen them. But I'm wondering if that's Stockholm Syndrome. If that can, if that can apply to prisoners of a fairy realm. If a psychologist can email me, if you were captured by a fairy for, say, 50 years, would you eventually like being a prisoner of the fairy kingdom? I don't know. Maybe someday I will tell you my story myself when I am eventually captured by the leprechauns for constantly bad-mouthing their brethren. But an interesting story. I, 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 I like it, and as much as I dislike fairies, there's, there's something about the story that really spoke to me. Or I, or I just like it, or I just like parades, maybe. Annette, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the carpenter copter. Get your flight suit ready, zip it up. We're leaving behind this cottage in Finland. Take us all the way out to Grandpa's house. We're at Grandpa's house, and there's this nice swimming pool in the backyard. We're sitting back drinking lemonade, the hot sun beating down on us, just enjoying the scene. There's a woman, her name is Michelle, and she's had an experience when she was only three years old that has stuck with her her entire life. When she was three, at her grandpa's house, she was swimming in the pool. Well, I mean, she's three, so she's not doing backstrokes or anything like that. She's in one of those floaty things, those inner tubes. She's floating around in her grandpa's pool, just having a good time, right? Like all three-year-olds would in pools. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, she's three, right? So her memory's a little jumbled, but she's in this floaty thing. And the next thing she knows is she's at the bottom of the pool. She's sitting in the bottom of the pool and she looks up and she sees her floaty thing still there on the surface. And she's like, <laughs> quite the predicament. I, a three-year-old girl, knows nothing of gravity or buoyancy or anything like that. Um, but I'm pretty sure she's tapping her chin. I'm pretty sure the oxygen is up there and I need that to survive. So I'm dead. I'm sitting at the bottom of this pool and I will not be long for this world. When all of a sudden she sees a girl dive into the pool. She can't really tell the age of the girl. But... She can identify certain things about her. This girl has dark hair and is wearing a white bathing suit. And she sees this girl jump into the pool and swim down and grab a hold of Michelle's little baby body. And as Michelle is being held by this friendly rescuer, she is completely at peace. 
There is no fear in her whatsoever. She knows that she's safe. The girl in the white bathing suit breaches the surface and Michelle takes in a deep breath of air. <gasps> and then another one. <sighs> and then one more. The issue that plagues Michelle is that this never happened. She has this memory, and while she can't say it's a concrete memory because there's gaps in it, this never happened. She goes, I never drowned. I never was at the bottom of a pool. I never got rescued. I know all of these things never happened. She goes, there wasn't anyone at that house that matched the description of a girl wearing a white bathing suit or dark hair anytime, right? She didn't recognize it as a sister or a neighborhood friend or anything like that. It was this girl who, because you're deep underwater, because of the chaos of the event, she didn't really get a good look. Those are the two details that stood out. Dark hair, white bathing suit. She goes, but none of this happened. And you could chalk it up to a bad dream, but I remember it. And you go, well, people remember their dreams. You can have a dream that is as strong as a memory. And Michelle goes, it's not just that I remember it. This event has scarred me. She says, even now, I have an intensely deep fear of being submerged in water. My phobia regarding being submerged in water is so strong, I can barely take a shower. I mean, baths are out of the question. I can barely take a shower. So, sure, you could say it was just a dream, but it's a dream that's actually imprinted itself so deep on my psyche that it's changed the way I live as an adult. I remember it. I remember it happening, but it never happened. She never really shared this story with many people. But a few years ago, she was talking to her mom. She goes, you know, it's so weird, Mom. You know how I have, like, that horrible fear of being underwater? <laughs> all those times she tried to get me to take a bath as a kid, and all those times trying to get me to shower. And, and even now as I'm standing outside the shower and you're telling me to get in there because I'm smelly. All those times throughout my childhood, really throughout my life, where I avoided being near lots of water or having my face covered in water. You know what caused that? Was I keep remembering something that happened when I was three, and it didn't happen. It has to be a dream. But it's affected me my whole life. And the mom's like, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> what, where, where is this coming from? And Michelle goes, so I remember clearly when I was three years old, but I mean, this didn't happen, but I have a memory of being three years old in the pool on, on one of those little child flotation devices, little inner tube. And somehow I must have fell off because the next thing I know, I'm sitting at the bottom of the pool. But before anything bad could happen, I mean, worse than a kid being at the bottom of a pool, before the worst possible thing could happen, I see a girl diving into the pool. And the mom stops her and says... Was the girl wearing a white bathing suit? Michelle goes, yeah. How did you know? How did how did you know that? Was this a real event? 
was this a real event? Because the only way you would know that if you were there and you saw like a neighborhood kid jump into the pool and save me. And the mom goes, no, it never happened. It never happened. But ever since I was a child, I've also had that memory. Long before you were even born, I remember sitting at the bottom of a pool, watching a girl with dark hair wearing a white bathing suit, jumping in and saving my life. This is incredibly fascinating what I... I mean, there's two different ways we can look at it, right? First off, the story was posted online by someone going by the name Breeze Boo. There's a really two different ways to look at this. I think one's probably more accurate than the other. So both of these girls, Michelle and her mother, the mother was raised at Grandpa's house. She spent her... In Tired childhood at Grandpa's house. And Michelle references that she did as well. So it was an intergenerational house. The pool was there the entire time. So you have two generations of women who had lived in this house and spent time in this pool. On the first case, when you're looking at Michelle's story, I would think it could be something like quantum immortality. We've talked about that a ton of times on the show. I'll put some cool episodes in the show notes talking about it. That's the idea that you can't die. When you die, you shift over into a universe where you're still alive because your brain can't comprehend a universe where you don't exist. And that would explain all the close calls we've had in our life. doesn't explain everything, and I have a lot of questions about that theory overall. But there are so many times where I personally have dodged death by a matter of inches. Death. And yet, still I live. Now... That's obviously anecdotal, and I think everybody has close calls, but there's this theory that when I should have been hit by that car or when I should have been crushed by that box, I didn't. Well, I did, and then I shifted over to a universe where the car moved right at the last minute, where I didn't set an entire street on fire by throwing down a road flare and a puddle of gasoline, a lake of gasoline, really. It was, took up, I mean, it was probably like 20, it was probably about 20 yards of gas. Actually, that wasn't me. That was how. But anyways, the point is, is that we all would have burned to death. The point is, is that we narrowly escape death on possibly a monthly, if not weekly or daily basis. We just constantly keep shifting over into these universes. If it was just Michelle, you would think it could be something like that. But the fact that her mother was able to, I, again, this is what's so important about that fairy story in the beginning. Two witnesses are always better than one. Because now you have two people, even if you're just sitting two or three feet apart, they're viewing the same. It can't be a trick of a light if two people are sitting even less than a couple feet apart because they're looking at it from different angles. It can't just be one person going insane or anything like that. I mean, obviously it could be, <laughs> it could be a gas leak or something like that. But here we have... Oh, and the mother is also deathly afraid of water. It's something that you wouldn't... As your child was shivering before you put her in the shower, you want to be like, yes, I know the fear. The fear grips me as well. It's something you would kind of hide from your kid. I think your kid might realize there's a reason why you never go to Rip Roar and Water Park or to the beach or while your mom's always super smelly. 
But the mom did have a fear of water. And she was telling her daughter about that. She goes, yeah, I hate taking showers too. Like I can't stand being underwater. An intense fear of water. And the daughter may have picked up on that. And that could actually, to a more skeptical answer, that the daughter was just picking up on her mom's phobias. But what we could be seeing here is this is the ghost of that house. Something happened in that house, in particular in that pool, before even the mother was born. And this event is continuing to play out through the women of that house. Which is super fascinating. We talk about residual hauntings a lot on this show. It's just a recording of a haunting. But those are location-specific. These memories, both of these women have taken away with them. They're not, they're not currently swimming in Grandpa's pool as they're telling this story. These are memories they've had, this incident playing out in their head long after they've been hanging out at the pool. So is that what this is? Is it almost like whatever haunted or whatever imprinted on this pool latched on and actually is affecting these girls. And it's so funny because the longer I talk about it, the more kind of sidetracks I'm thinking. We talked about it on a recent episode and it is something that we see in the paranormal community. Bodies of water tend to hold the power of the spirit world more than not. If you have just a house, sure you might have a ghost there, but a house near a creek or a river or a pool and add in the tragedy, add in the death, add in the psychic imprint. Around bodies of water, they tend to be stronger. It's not a foolproof thing, but we do tend to see that. We do tend to see that. The other thing I was thinking of this also kind of could be because the impact of this. If this was just a bad dream that both women were having... They never talked about it with each other. That's odd enough. That's a typical ghost story. This is almost to the level of a solar plexus clown glider, which is something we talked about really early on in the show where I talked about my personal experience encountering what can only be described as some sort of interdimensional entity that caused, that latched onto me and I was in physical pain I'm I'm still in physical pain. I still have all sorts of ailments. But this, I think the two things were connected. I'll put the episode in the show notes. But basically, I came in contact with what I often called psychic landmines. These things are left behind. I was in a courthouse. I was observing a trial for a college class. I turned to my right. And it was like the uh, the seats in the audience of the of the courtroom. I turned to my right and I saw a king cobra. There, there was no king cobra there. That 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 would have been amazing. I would have adopted it. No, I saw something that looked like a king cobra, and it made this very overly animated motion towards me. And because I I chalked it up to wow, sitting in that plastic chair all day long really hurt my back. Like I was having back problems, and I went to the doctor. And he prescribed me 120 Vicodin a month, and then upped it to 240 Vicodin a month. Because I had a slight backache in a plastic chair. This was back like in 2002, 2000. It was somewhere back there where they're like, oh, this stuff's not addictive. And while I never really succumbed to the full horrors of what taking 240 pills a month can do to you, like I'm one of the lucky ones. Right? Like I'm fully aware 
how lucky I am. Fully aware. And I often think, was that something that was leading me down a path that could have easily ended my life? That stuff is no joke. And I took them all each month. Can you imagine taking 240 Vicodin a month? It was for years. Because I sat in a plastic chair and my back hurt. But the pain felt like it was far more than that. And as the years went by, the pain got worse. I found out that's the side effect. The pain medication, you lose your normal pain receptors. I'll put that episode on the show notes. I go in a little more detail as far as that. But it did affect my life. Like you will be, you will be 200. I mean, I was doped. I mean, I was doped up for months and years. And listen, man, I got out of it and I still had friends and adventures and all that stuff going on. But, you know, I could have ended up, it could have been really bad. And I wonder if that is kind of similar to what this is. It, this seems less menacing. I mean, if I had my choice between turning to my right and seeing a king cobra, or turning to my right and seeing a girl in a white bathing suit, one's far less of a just natural threat. So the story, and they're being rescued, right? They're, this whole girl's jumping in. And it's a fascinating ghost story. There's really just so many things you could take apart from it. Did a little girl drown in there, and the girl jumping in was too late. And so what they're experiencing is the ghost of the three-year-old who died in the pool. And the girl who jumped in got down there too late. Because remember the little three-year-old, the feeling of just being at total peace and calm and not worried at all. I almost drowned in a pool once. I went under and a babysitter or like a church group woman who was there, this teenage girl, she jumped in and pulled me up. And I was panicking and I was fighting it the whole time. I was scared to death. And I didn't go into pools for years afterwards. I'm still not a huge fan of it. That actually happened to me. Actually, now that I think about it, maybe it didn't. I clearly remembered that. But anyways, my point is, is that like I was panicked. I was screaming. I made a big show of it because I went under and I went deep. So I wonder if it's a three-year-old, the ghost of a three-year-old who died. And you're reliving the last thing she saw, the rescuer coming down to save her. But she doesn't get to her in time. It's a possibility. That's why you'd have the fear of water. There's also the possibility that the girl died, but you're not just getting the spirit of the little girl, the three-year-old ghost in there, but the spirit of the girl who dove in after her. Not that she died during the pool, but again, these psychic landmines, it doesn't always have to, ghosts don't always have to involve a death. There can be ghosts left by people who are still alive. You can go into a house and you can feel how heavy it is, and it's a new house. Nobody ever really died there. But you're feeling all of the domestic strife. You've been in a house and it just feels heavy. And then you find out like the couple's not getting along or the kids fighting. And, you know, like more than normal, right? Not just like, what are we going to watch for television? Like more than normal, that type of thing. So it's possible we're not just getting the ghost of the little girl, but the, the anguish of the rescuer failing at her job. So that event. Just playing over and over again. It's a fascinating story. It's it's one of those ghost stories that I think pushes the boundaries of what we know of ghosts. These people are continuing to be haunted far after they've left the area. Like, I'm sure they still visit Grandpa on the weekends. Like, I'm sure that they're not completely gone. But you know what I mean? Like, the psychic scars that were left by this, they carry on. It changed. 
the way they do things to the point that they don't even like taking showers. They don't like having that much water on them because they just happen to swim in this pool and something latched onto them. It's a fascinating ghost story. I love stuff like this. Stories like this, I think, push the world of paranormal research forward because it's so weird and there's no easy answers to it. And that's why I love stories like this, because at the end of the day, that's what I consider myself, a paranormal researcher. I'm not a podcaster. I'm a paranormal researcher who likes to talk about this stuff with you guys. And so when I can come across something like this that's perplexing and chilling at the same time, it's this idea that at any point in your day, in your life, you can encounter a spirit that can latch onto you and change things about you. Could be big things, could be little things, right? Not wanting to be around water, that's pretty easy to avoid. But I mean, what happens when one of these things latch onto you and you develop a debilitating addiction? Or dark desires? Or it just hardens your heart a little bit towards your friends and family, and you don't know why. You can't figure it out. You just... You may not even feel different, which would be the creepiest thing, right? Your friends would say, hey, man, what's going on? You seem a little off. No, I'm fine. But you stepped on one of these psychic landmines, and slowly you're being affected by it. The only sin these two women committed was Swimming in the same swimming pool. Enjoying a sunny day in Grandpa's backyard. That was the only thing that they did that changed the way they looked at the world. They both have a phobia of water because they remember sitting at the bottom of a pool. Yet neither of them ever did. It's a perplexing story and it's a terrifying story. What is it? What is the spirit? Is it the rescue attempt? Is it all that psychic energy from simply being in the horror of the moment? And the girl was fine, like the memories would suggest the three-year-old got rescued. But it was just so terrifying that all this psychic energy was poured into this pool and simply stayed there. Is it possible that the child died? And her spirit's at the bottom of the pool, waiting to be rescued. But until it can crawl out of the water itself, it simply sits there. The best it can hope for is a friend. A young girl swimming around in the pool to spend some time with this lonely spirit at the bottom. And if this young girl's ghost cannot free herself from the pool... She'll simply hitch a ride with you. She'll become part of you. Part of your memories. Part of your personality. Her soul may never leave the bottom of that pool. But she will make sure that a piece of your soul never leaves the pool as well. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.